You know, we've seen that bumper a lot, and don't you still love it? I just, I love it, because I can see my coworkers on there, and it's just hilarious. Well, good morning. My name's Devin Tharp. I'm the family pastor here at Good Shepherd, and I'm privileged to be able to share with you this morning on this week seven of a series. I was thinking, I've been here almost 10 years. I can't remember the last time we did a seven-part series. I, clearly, we have a lot of difficult people that we're dealing with in our lives, and we in leadership have a lot to say about difficult people. So it's been a great series. I know a lot of you have Really enjoyed it. And today we're going to be looking at the book of James, chapter one. So if you've got your Bible or your phone, you can locate James chapter one in there. And later on in the message, I'm going to actually be referring to a whole bunch of other passages of scripture. And if you can keep up with me, good luck. That'd be great. I'd love for you to do that. But if not, we're going to put the scripture passages up on the screen at just the right time because we believe it's really, really important for you to be able to see the scripture for yourselves. And since we're talking about scripture, let me just remind you what we as a church believe about this library that I hold in my hand. And yes, I did say library because the Bible is not a book. It is a library. It's a library actually of 66 books that are all commonly themed around this person of Jesus. And so here at Good Shepherd, uh, you may not believe what we believe about the Bible, but we want to be clear about what we believe about scripture because we believe the Bible is unlike any library like it on planet earth that in a way beyond our comprehension, God breathed his life and his truth into its pages. And so whenever we get ready to read the scriptures, we just wanna remind ourselves the Bible truly is inspired and eternal and true. And because of that, we have this custom, we lift it up. And it's our way to simply acknowledge, we don't have life figured out, but we know the one who does, amen? One other thing I'd love to do is to pray. If you'd pray for me as you pray with me. Father, as John once wrote, I pray, Lord, this morning that I would decrease and that you would increase and that that would be true not only for me but for everyone within the sound of my voice. We wanna hear from you this morning, God. We wanna know you deeper. And because of that, we want to trust you more. We invite you to do that in us and through us this morning. In your name we pray, amen. Well, I want to share with you this morning a little bit about my family growing up. You see, we were a very vocal bunch. I mean, we knew how to verbalize things. We were more than willing to tell you what we thought. I mean, if you thought something in my family, you could say it. And that would happen even in conflict. I almost would say, especially during conflict, we would verbalize things. And sometimes we expressed ourselves loudly. And I know a lot of you know me and you're really shocked to hear that I'm loud because you think of me as like quiet as a church mouse and never would be loud. But that's definitely not the case. That's not the environment I grew up in. My family was loud and at times obnoxious, and we expressed ourselves. Well, growing up into high school, I get to the point where I have some challenges with my parents, like every teenager, and I push back against them, and so at times I would yell back, I'd raise my voice, and I recognize now there were so many times when I was disrespectful to my parents. But there were also times when I was simply living in to the culture that my home growing up had. If you wanted to express yourself, you said it. You said it loudly and clearly. Well, fast forward a few years later and I go to college and I meet this young girl from North Carolina. 
And we start dating together. We date three and a half years, and immediately after graduation of college, we get married. Of course, go on our honeymoon, and after the honeymoon ends, conflict begins. Can I hear an amen? And so we start to have conflict. Well, I got to tell you about my wife's family growing up because they were not as loud and vocal as I was growing up, as my family was. They typically handled conflict in a quiet manner and kind of came at it more passive aggressively. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying my wife is quiet or passive. But her family growing up, that's the case, and that's, that's the environment she grew up in. And so I come from this loud, when you're in conflict, you yell, you shout, you tell, what you're, you tell everybody what you think. And she comes from this environment where it was quiet and more passive-aggressive. So you can imagine how this all worked out early in our marriage. I don't know if you've heard of oil and water, but it was something kind of like that. We had communication challenges, and I bet you can relate. Because all of us have communication challenges in our families. We have them in our marriages. We have them in our dating relationships. We have them with our children. And even beyond our families, we have communication challenges with our coworkers, with our neighbors. I mean, HOA Facebook page, can I hear an amen? <laughs> and even with our friends, we have communication challenges all over the place. And what do we do in our relationships with other people when we need to have some crucial conversations? I mean, what happens when we need to have a conversation about something difficult with someone that we might find difficult? How do we navigate that? And how do we ensure that we can have good communication so they can understand us and we can understand them? We can come to a place of mutual understanding. And it's a real challenge. Well, here's the great news. The Bible has a lot to say, actually, about communication. Clearly, we're in week seven of this series. And so in the Bible, there's a book that I love in the New Testament. It's the book of James, because James deals a lot with communication. And let me give you a little bit of context as we turn to James chapter one. James is Jesus's half-brother, and he is a church leader in the city of Jerusalem, and he's writing a letter to some Christians who have been scattered throughout the Mediterranean, and they've been scattered due to persecution. And so he's writing to them to encourage them and to lift them up in their faith, but there's also been some communication challenges among these pockets of Christians that are scattered, and so he wants to address these communication challenges. Now, here's the thing about James that you have to know. James is a straight shooter. I mean, he tells it like it is. It's a short book, and it packs a punch. Because James doesn't mess around. Here's the other thing about James you really vitally need to know, is James sees a link between faith and action. In James's world, where there is faith, immediately following, there should be action. He's one of those actions speak louder than word types. You know what I'm saying? And that's where I really connect with James, because I appreciate that action orientedness. So here we are in James chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. And then down to verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. 
Did I tell you James cuts to the punch? I mean, he gets right to it. He says, hey, there's some communication challenges here, and we need to address them, so I'm going to address them head on. He says, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. And he says, the result, if we don't do that, if we don't live that out in our life, the result is that it's going to actually stunt our growth in our relationship with God. It's going to hurt us becoming all that God wants us to become. And so he says, this is, this is vital stuff. And then he closes this little passage with these powerful words. Don't just listen to the word, do what it says. Don't just hear wisdom and truth, put it into practice. And so here's what I want you to know this morning, Good Shepherd, as your bottom line, your faith, your faith turns to action when listening becomes doing. Your faith that goes from your head to your heart into your hands when you allow the listening part of listening to God's word and hearing what he has to say to putting it into practice in your everyday life. Your faith turns to action when listening becomes doing. And I hear that and I go, well, that's good. It's a good bottom line, Devin. Nice, simple, clear, direct. But then I also wanna be my own critic. Let me be my own critic for a moment. And I go, but how do you actually do that. Like when you get to a point in a relationship when you need to have a hard conversation, how do you be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry? What does that actually look like in behavior? And so this morning, what I'd like to do is I want to look at some negative communication patterns that all of us use in all of our relationships. And these are originally authored by a guy named Scott Stanley. And we're going to look at these four negative communication patterns. And not only are we going to look at those patterns, we're also going to look and see what does the Bible have to say about each of these? Because the Bible speaks very clearly about how we are to communicate and treat other people. And so it's got a lot to say. And so are you ready to go on this journey with me through these four patterns? Okay, I need feedback here, people. I, I, was, in, I was in youth ministry for 22 years. I'm used to y'all like talking amongst yourself. So feel free to give me feedback, Okay. So here's number one. Number one is escalation. Escalation, or I like to call it the crazy ladder. Escalation is when two people negatively impact each other, and they continue to spiral, kind of out of control at times, through increasing anger and frustration. You know how this happens, because it happens in our families, it happens in our relationships. Typically, when we think of escalation, we think of yelling. And man, that's what I majored in growing up, yelling, yelling and screaming. That's how we escalate any kind of argument. But there are actually more subtle ways that you can escalate as well. You can do it through sarcasm. You can do it through name calling. You can even do it through threats. We say escalation is like a ladder because I want to use a ladder as an illustration. And so we welcome my friend Alex up here with me. I know some of you right now are getting a kick out of the short guy asking for a ladder on stage. So if you need a moment, go ahead, laugh it up. Um, so Alex and I, Alex and I are friends, right? And we're hanging out one day. He's like, eh, sort of. Um, we're hanging out one day and we're talking and Alex says something to me and I take it really personally. Now, I don't just ask some clarifying questions about what he meant. That's probably what I should have done. Or I don't just man up and just forget about it and let it go. No, I take it personally. And so what do I do? I escalate the conversation by throwing an insult back at him. And so I escalate it up. 
And then what does Alex do? I mean, he might be younger than me, but he's not intimidated by me. And so he throws a verbal weapon back at me and up and up we go. And so I, I get frustrated. I throw another verbal assault at him. Up the ladder we go. And then he comes right back at me. And pretty soon we are escalating this argument. And here's what, how this relates to a ladder. Because when you're on a ladder, the higher you go, the less stable the ladder becomes. And that's true in an escalation relationship. Because if you escalate, you can end up taking down not only the ladder, but the relationship itself. Because there's a chance you might say something or do something that you regret. And that's the second way that escalation is like a ladder. Because there are times when we say something or we do something and it's really hard to take it back. You see, going up a ladder, it's pretty easy. You could race up a ladder, but it's hard to come back down. You gotta be intentional and take steps intentionally to get back down on the ground safely. And the same thing happens in escalation. We escalate up, we get frustrated, we get angry, we shoot verbal assaults at our friend or in our relationships. And pretty soon we've said something or done something that we really regret. Will you thank Alex for helping me out? <laughs> Proverbs 12, 18 says this, reckless words pierce like a sword. I can relate to that because that was true of me when I was younger. It can still be true of me today. I can escalate any argument. And when I was younger, I would really take things personally and I would escalate it up to something much much bigger than it actually needed to be. And if you're a person who escalates in conversation or in relationships, here's what can happen. You can do a lot of damage in a very short amount of time because you can end up saying something or doing something that hurts that other person. And I imagine today a lot of you can relate to this because you might still have negative relationships or broken relationships in your family or even with friends because of something that was said years ago. Something got escalated and you said something and you regret it. And now you can't take it back and that relationship has been broken ever since. James speaks directly to this as well. In that same chapter, James chapter one, verse 26, he says these words. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. James tells it like it is. Your religion is worthless if you don't keep a tight rein on what you say. Well, here's the good news for those of you who might deal with escalating in your relationships, is that there is a better way. And the better way is to learn to take a time out. Because growing up, I, I escalated all the time and I could feel it bubbling up. I mean, if you're an escalator, you feel it. It's like rising up through your feet into your legs and you're just about ready to explode. And it's at that moment when you need to call a timeout, take a step back, maybe walk away from the conversation and reconvene at another time when your frame of mind is better, when you're in a healthier place and you can start the conversation over again. That's way better to take a timeout than to say something or do something that would hurt or break the relationship. So that's escalation. Let's move on to number two. You with me? Invalidation, invalidation or painful put downs 
Invalidation happens when you directly or indirectly dismiss, minimize, or put down the thoughts, the feelings, or the character of the other person. It can look like picking apart their opinions or just completely uh, dismissing their feelings. What happens in a relationship is somebody finally says, hey, I wanna be vulnerable. I'm gonna share something with you, a concern, a feeling, a thought. And somebody else who wants to invalidate that comes in and they just crush it. They say that's not valid, you shouldn't feel that way. And invalidation is really, really hurtful. And here, a comment, when invalidation happens, a comment that can start off as maybe just a sarcastic comment can lead to an attack on a person's character. And for those of you who are married, let me speak to you directly uh, about invalidation because invalidation can really hurt your marriage because one common denominator in all invalidation is contempt. And John Gottman, who's a longtime marital researcher, has found that contempt is a great destroyer of marriages because any conflict, any tension can lead to an attack on the other person's character. So contempt is a real concern. Well, Jesus talks directly about this, about attacking another person's character, and he does it in Matthew chapter five. Matthew chapter five and verses 22 and following. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Now that word raka there is actually the Aramaic term for contempt. And it gets translated into our language as meaning airhead. It literally is calling someone an airhead, that they're empty-headed. And Jesus is here saying, don't even call someone an airhead because that's an attack on their character. We will have none of that, according to Jesus. So here you, here you have Jesus and a whole bunch of research, at least around the marriage relationship, saying invalidation is not okay because invalidation hurts. And what happens with invalidation is it actually increases the barriers in any relationship. Because when somebody finally pops up and says, I'm gonna share with you and be vulnerable, and somebody else comes in and just crushes that, well, that person, next time they have a thought or a feeling or a concern, what are they gonna do? They're gonna think twice about sharing it because they're worried, fearful that somebody's gonna come in and crush that. So invalidation really uh, hurts relationships. But here's the great news. There's a better way. And the better way is to understand first that communication is about mutual understanding. Now, that was a really uh, powerful moment for me when I understood that communication is about mutual understanding because I thought communication was just about me making sure that everybody else around me knew that I was right. I don't know if you deal with the same issue that I do, but I thought it was about making sure everybody knew I was right and that they were wrong, but that's not how communication works. Communication is actually two people getting to a place of mutual understanding and understanding each other. And when you get to that place, here's what you can do if you tend to invalidate others. You can learn to be respectful of other person's thoughts, their feelings, or their concerns. And the great news is that when you do that, that relationship is gonna begin to thrive because that person's going to remove those barriers 
and all of a sudden the floodgates of here's my thoughts, here's my feelings, here's my concerns is gonna open up and connection is gonna be made. Invalidation can be a, a real negative uh, communication pattern. And one other thing I wanna mention, if you tend to invalidate, remember, you don't have to agree with someone in order to validate their feelings. You could see things from a completely different perspective. You could completely disagree with them and still recognize that their feelings are truly theirs and separate from your own. Okay, number three. Number three is negative interpretation when believing is seeing. I want to be true to this description. Negative interpretation happens when you assign a motive to the other person that's, then, that is more negative than is actually the case. And this pattern creates a lot of conflict and destruction in relationships. You know, one of the things that we know that's true about humans is we have this thing called confirmation bias. And confirmation bias is the understanding that if I believe something in my mind and I believe it wholeheartedly, then it's really hard for me to see anything else that I don't believe because I've accepted in my mind this is true. And so I have a hard time seeing that anything could be anything other than what I believe. It's called confirmation bias. And this is what happens in negative interpretation because what we end up doing is we end up believing that we are a mind reader. We can read the minds of other people around us and we read into them negative thoughts, or maybe negative motives, and we start to think that what we know what other people are thinking about us, or maybe what they're doing for us or to us, we think it's negative and we believe that wholeheartedly in our minds. Well, Jesus speaks directly to this in Luke chapter six, verses 41 and following. Here's what he has to say about negative interpretation. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Jesus' warning to us is to be on guard for this tendency to judge others harshly. And it's one thing if somebody intentionally frustrates us, intentionally annoys us. But sometimes, let's admit it, there are people who annoy us or frustrate us and the other person isn't doing it intentionally. They might actually have good intentions. We just negatively interpret it. We misunderstand it. And because of that, we come at it with this belief system that we are gonna confirm what we see. Well, here's the great news. There is another, a better way you can combat negative interpretation by simply believing the best about the other person. Believe that they have good intentions. And maybe if you're in a close relationship with somebody, you're close enough that you can be honest, you can ask some clarifying questions. So maybe somebody does something or they say something and you're not really sure what they actually mean by that or what their intention was. So you simply ask, hey, can you tell me why did you say that that way? Why did you do that? I, I, I wanna know a little bit more about the reasoning why because if you have that negative interpretation, you're already gonna go down a negative path. You've gotta learn to combat that and say, no, I'm gonna get some clarifying question. I'm gonna ask a clarifying question and I'm gonna get some better understanding here. 
One other thing you can do, and this might be even more difficult, is if you tend to negatively interpret, start to look for evidence that is opposite of your negative interpretation. Now, what do I mean by that? Let me give you an example. You're in a relationship with somebody that you believe doesn't care about you. You just think they don't care about you, they don't show you any concern or or sensitivity that you would expect. So you have this negative interpretation about your relationship with them. You've gotta learn to look for evidence to the contrary of that. Do they do things that are nice just for you? Do they offer things up to you that, that you know you, they know you enjoy? You look for that evidence and it's gonna counteract that negative interpretation mindset that you can bring. And that will counteract that negative communication pattern. Okay, you ready for number four? Oh, that was pretty quiet. Some, some of you are like, Devin, this is like a four-part sermon. I thought we only did one-part sermons at Good Shepherd. No, no, it's a one-part sermon. It just has four supporting uh, uh, parts to it. So you just keep it between me and us, okay? Don't mention to Talbot that I did a four-point sermon. That would not go over well. Okay, here we go. Withdraw and avoid is number four. Withdraw and avoid. You know, James says to be quick to listen, Right? The person who withdraws and avoids, they don't want to listen at all. They're avoiding it all together. Because when someone withdraws or avoids, they're unwilling to stick with important discussions. They don't want to communicate or deal with difficult conversations, so they, they simply try to avoid them altogether. And this can be as obvious as somebody leaving the room in the middle of an argument or a discussion. It can be subtle, like somebody just shutting down in the middle of a conversation. And it can even mean something like um, people just agreeing to everything. Have you ever been in a conversation like that? Somebody just agrees, like, I'm just going to agree because I just want this over with. I just want it to move on. That's somebody who's withdrawing from the conversation. Now, avoiders, they're a little bit different because they don't even want to have the conversation. They just want it to be moved. They they don't even want to have any kind of discussion. They want to avoid it altogether. And here's where avoiders go wrong. They think that they're actually keeping the peace, right? Because they believe, well, I'm making peace because we're not actually having conflict because we're not talking about it. Well, guess what? You're not making peace. You're faking peace because there isn't any peace. We haven't actually discussed the conflict or the difficult conversation that we need to have. So you've got withdrawers and avoiders. And here's usually how things work, with, especially with withdrawers. Usually in any relationship, there's a pursuer and a withdrawer. And the pursuer is the one who's always pursuing, right? They come into the conversation, they say, hey, we need to talk about something. Hey, we have a decision to make. Hey, I need to bend your ear about something. And the withdrawer, what do they do? They run away. They want to avoid the conversation altogether. And here's usually what happens with withdrawers, is that they don't stay in the conversation because they don't feel safe in having that conversation. They feel like there's not an emotionally safe place for them to open up and really share. And that's why they run away. And so if you're a pursuer and you have a relationship with a withdrawer and you see this negative pattern happening all the time, you've got to deal with it now. Because if you get into the pattern of pursuing and somebody else withdrawing, guess what? It will continue. And it will continue to get worse and worse and worse. It will not remedy itself on its own. 
you've gotta come to a place where you can come together and have a really opening conversation. Well, the Apostle Paul talks about this actually in Ephesians chapter four, verses 25 and 27. He addresses this issue of withdrawing and avoiding. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Speak truthfully to your neighbor and deal with the issue today. And that's the better option. If you're a withdrawer or avoider, the better option is to have the hard conversation when you're ready to have it. When the opportunity presents itself, step into that conversation. Don't withdraw, don't avoid it. Walk into it knowing that I've got to deal with this. And if I don't deal with it now, I'm only gonna make it worse if I can let it, let it continue. So don't withdraw and avoid. Step into that conversation. And one more specific tip for those of you who are married and there's a pursuer and a withdrawer in the relationship. If you're the pursuer, you might be willing to go to your spouse and say, is there something about me that makes you feel uncomfortable about sharing? Is there a vibe that I give off? I mean, do I give you the impression that I don't wanna listen? Man, that would be a great question to ask. And if you're a withdrawer in that moment, do not withdraw. Step into that conversation and be honest with your spouse because that might be a breakthrough moment in your relationship that helps you to communicate more clearly from this point forward. Well, you've heard all four of these negative communication patterns and I have no doubt there was probably a moment when you were like, that's my sister, that's my wife, maybe that's my brother, or maybe that's my boss. I think it's so easy for us to sit and hear these descriptions and think of people immediately. Think of people that we know, people that we're in relationship with and call out their shortcomings. What's a little more difficult to do is to think in our own space, to put ourselves inside our own circle and say, which of these is true of me? Which of them do I live out in my relationships? Because there's a chance that we dip into each one throughout our life in different relationships and different contexts. But typically, there's one or two that we default to. So this morning, what I'd like you to do is we remember our bottom line. Your faith turns to action when listening becomes doing. We don't wanna be a people who simply listens to God's word, listens to his truth. We wanna allow his truth to change us to mold us, to shape us into the people that he wants us to become. So with that in mind, I wanna invite you to just simp simply sit and reflect because Ian's gonna play and sing a song over you. We're gonna put the negative communication patterns up on the screen along with a reflective question. And as he sings, I want you to sit and reflect on yourself. Which of those patterns it's true of you. And then if you're willing to maybe take one more step, a little deeper step, would you be willing to ask the Lord, what do you want me to do about it? What step could I take this week that might heal a broken relationship? 
what courageous step could I take that might change my pattern of behavior? I invite you to reflect, to ask the Lord to speak. Because the Holy Spirit, he wants to nudge us. He wants to prompt us so that we can become more of the people he desires us to be.